Episode 37. Uh Uh-huh. Did you ever think we'd make it to 37? Honestly, did you make it? We would make it to 37 (laughs) shows, and that doesn't even include some of these P's and R's and S's. Yep. So it's really more like 40. We're in in the 40s now. 40 shows since that, that meeting at Panera Bread and Factoria. That's right. Did you think sitting there with your four phones... That you, <laughs> yeah, I, with my four phones. Your yeah, phone. what? Do you even use the pop socket? Where's your phone? I want to see the back of your phone. No, you made me give you the pop socket. Doesn't mean that somebody else in my family's not using the pop socket. Is somebody using yes. it in your family? Yeah, I think Are my you? daughter had it on her phone. Get out of here. Yeah, I think so. Really? Yeah. Your she, daughter's she, got the Mitch unfiltered yeah. pop socket. I'm pretty sure she took it out of the package. And- you see, it, it brings up a, a an interesting conversation that we have out there. Okay. With the family. Okay. We want to give the pop sockets away to some friends. Mm-hmm. We have extra pop sockets to give away, uh-huh. but I'm kind of like, well, you can give them away to friends. Like the kids want to give them away to friends and so forth sure. if they're going to use them. And then my wife says, okay, you want me when I'm giving this away <laughs> to say, okay, I'm only giving right. you this if you're going to use it. And then do you want me like to check? Right. You want me to come back like a day later and say, okay, Show me that you're using it. Now, how mm-hmm. do you exactly do that? I got a gift for you over there waiting for you. Your brand this, new Mitch Tumblr. This is fantastic. Do you like that? I do like this. And I will tell you. Will you use that? I am going to use this. Okay. I'm not a pop socket guy. Yeah. But I just told you that I didn't use it. I'm not going to tell you that I'm using it. And not, I'm not using it. Right. This this will be used. Really? This will be what used. What will you fill that up with? This will be morning coffee on the way driving into work. See, I don't drink coffee. Daily. I think everybody's going to use that except for me. I don't think I'll ever use. I, I just asked them how many guys, how many do you guys want? Yeah. We should have one for each person. I was like, but I'm. Uh, what yeah. am I going to put in it? Milk? Nothing. Yeah, I don't well, know. You'll figure it out. Yeah. Figure it so out. I don't know how to give the pop sockets away and demand that if you're going <laughs> to accept this pop socket, you've got to use. You should the pop do. Socket. You should do it. You should ask people if they want one and do a little raffle deal. But then say you need to take a photo of it on your phone. I need to see this. Actually, you can't do that. Well, can I guess you? You how do you take somebody else's phone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, when I yeah. first put it on, yeah, this is how just ridiculous I am. Uh-huh. It covered the camera, so I noticed my next like five pictures. I had like there was something. I was like, "Is that my thumb? What is that that's covering the camera?" So JV. Oh my goodness! Like what's covering the camera? That's funny. So now every time I got my picture up here, yeah, I got my phone up. Every time I take a picture, I have to do the make sure I gotta tilt it down. I pull it out. I tilt it down every time I take a picture. That is hilarious because I put some cement glue on it. Because the other problem I was having is it was just falling off every six, six well, it's seconds. it's not supposed to be on the back of your... But my thing has grates, yeah. and so it wasn't really attaching. So I put some real cement glue on it. We have the same... We do? Or your phone is different, but so, it's the similar thing. I am. You, JV is the perfect word. So I'm, I'm ninth... I'm C team. I'm not even <laughs> so, JV. Yeah. I'm not even Ooh. JV. No, there's nothing in there. That's will, okay. You're all right. I will tell you this, though. Yeah. Because you are Mr. Technology, yeah, <laughs> I'm so glad that you're able to. I'm so glad you were able to figure that out with the super glue and get it, and that you knew that your photos were being, you know, tarnished because. Well, I was just looking. I was like, "Geez, there's something covering the bottom of every picture here," and I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. Was I was I putting my oh, thumb there or what was going? Gracious. And it turns out 
It's the pop socket. Yeah. The pop socket was getting in the way. You need to give so. away some pop sockets, what you need to do. Well, we, as I said, I want to give away some to friends also, but I want to make sure that they sign like a, <laughs> a an affidavit yeah. that they're going to they're gonna definitely use the yeah, pop socket. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't somebody think- in there, like you just told me that somebody in your family uses. That's fine. Yeah. Somebody's using it. Yeah, it's being it's in use. Yeah. Other than, you know, I just don't like the idea of giving a pop socket away and having it just tossed or just thrown away. Oh, I don't think you why, throw why, away why, a pop socket. No, you should never throw away a pop socket. No, because... Is it a pop socket I don't or know, a you, pop socket? You just said it like that, yeah, so I yeah. followed your lead on that yeah. one. Episode 37, <laughs> subscribe. We haven't started yet. Subscribe, listen, and rate. Five stars, please. We have five guests, Jay Ham. You've been in Portland or Vancouver all weekend. Mm-hmm. We have five guests on this episode 37. This episode 37, I didn't realize when I was doing it until you just came over and told me, this is kind of designed for you. This is like your episode. You're going to want to listen to this episode more than any other episode. Right, right. Because it's going to take the NFL draft that happened over three days Mm -hmm. and just summarize it. You're going to learn a lot. If you're an NFL draft person or somebody who wants to catch up on the NFL draft, this is the episode for you. I'm going to go ahead and say, outside of our banter, if you don't like the NFL draft... If you have OD'd on the NFL mm-hmm, draft mm-hmm. and you want nothing to do with any more of the NFL draft discussion, this may not be the greatest <laughs> episode not, not for you. Yeah, But you could still listen to our banter about Doug Baldwin and other stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this is about the NFL draft. Five guests wow. all pertaining to the NFL draft. Andy Benoit of Sports Illustrated, the MMQB, took over for Peter King when mm-hmm. King left. He takes a national look at the NFL draft from Kyler Murray to Josh Rosen to DK Metcalf to Ziggy, uh, who's an unrestricted free agent right now, a little pass rusher. We talked a little bit about that. In segment number three, that's segment two. Segment three, we've got three guests in one segment, kind of a schnoz type idea. We have three writers that covered every one of the Seahawks' top four picks, every game, home and away, every snap from Fort Worth, Salt Lake City, in Oxford, Mississippi. All right, so that's segment three. And then segment four, I don't know if you know Michael Sean Duger. Do you know that name? Don't. The name sounds familiar. Like I've seen it. I'm not sure where I've seen it. He's a Seattle guy who watches the Seahawks day-to-day, and he covers them for The Athletic. Oh, yeah. that's. I was going to say, I, I, I knew the M- name Michael Sean Duger. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yep. Uh, will uh, be in segment number four. So that leaves segment one and our conclusion for you and me. If you are not a patron and you missed episode 36P, you missed four guests, including Vern Lundquist, who was waxing poetic. You missed Jay Ham tell me that he wouldn't sit on the same side of a Zeke's Pizza booth with me. Mm-hmm. You missed Jay Ham call everybody who thought Damian Lillard's shot was a good shot dumb. Mm-hmm. And you missed Jay Ham say that he doesn't particularly like the Jeopardy champion, James Holtzauer. That's right. That's what you missed I, on 36P. Yeah. Yep, you did. All those did, things. Did I sum that up? I stand by all those things. Well, I was wondering whether you stood by all those things. Stood by them all. Okay. Yeah. And we have two commitments for this Thursday's patron show. New Washington State Cougar basketball coach Kyle Smith, Tony Bennett, and Lorenzo Romar both offered him an assistant coaching job. Did you know that? Did not. Yes. You're going to hear him discuss turning down both Tony Bennett, like you did, and Lorenzo Romar. 
I think uh, they turned me down, but it, okay. Yeah, well, same, same, yeah, same difference. Yeah. Uh, also, the author and ESPN writer Tom Van Haren will investigate the business impact of Tiger's win at Augusta. Tailor-made clubs, Bridgestone balls, Nike clothes. What his win has meant to the bottom line. Some figures, and all I'll say about that is whatever you have in your mind as the impact of Tiger Woods, the business impact, mm-hmm. the the financial impact of Tiger Woods' Augusta win, whatever you have in your mind, multiply it times 100. Let's just put it this way. If you want a mock turtleneck from Nike that he wore, yeah. you can't get one. They're all sold out. No it, way. Every mock turtleneck, <laughs> every golfing mock turtleneck by Nike is right now sold out, at least as, the, as of the moment that right. you and I are talking. Right. So there you have it. Oh, boy. All right. So that's coming up on uh, this week's patrons episode. If you'd like to become a patron, it's very easy to do. You go to the MitchUnfiltered.com website. You click become a patron. Then you have access to all the extra stuff, including the second full show each week, which you can download by copying and pasting right into your favorite podcast app. If you're technologically sound like me, <laughs> you've got that dialed in. You can do that right here. All right. Episode number 37 is brought to you by the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Find the loan to fit your life. Select from the hundreds of loan products tailored to your needs. How about refinancing your home? Call Jordan Flowers team at 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, headquartered right here in Bellevue. Our presenting sponsor of both the Unfiltered March Madness Pool and the Majors Golf Challenge. Zeke's Pizza. Ever wanted to sit down, watch a game, all while enjoying some great pizza and craft beer? Zeke's Pizza is for you. Can't wait till football season when I make the rounds to Zeke's Pizza. Daniel's Broiler now of four locations. Bellevue Place, Les Shy, South Lake Union, and the new downtown Seattle spot in the Hyatt Regency. A reminder, Mother's Day at Daniel's is a very nice fit. Make your reservations now at one of the four fabulous Daniel's Broiler locations, including the new one at the Hyatt Regency, which has a big brunch buffet, huge Mm. brunch buffet for Mother's Day at uh, Daniel's Broiler in the brand new location at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Seattle. Ready for episode 37? Let's go. Here we go. Episode 37 starts now. Unfiltered. Most people have their wisdom teeth out. They go to the dentist. They're getting a regular little checkup. They're getting their teeth cleaned. And the dentist says, you know, it's that time for an x-ray. You know, we got to take an x-ray every once in a while. Let's take an x-ray just to see what's going on in there. You You don't have any pain. You're kind of enjoying life like I was enjoying watching him knock around opposing team's quarterbacks. And then all of a sudden, the dentist arrives in the office and he says to you, I got some news for you. You need your wisdom teeth out. And so you do, you go through the process that no one really wants to go through. It's a pain in the ass because you feel like I got to do this. It's the right thing to do. That's what it felt like for me trading Frank Clark. Unfiltered. I'm not saying in the future, the future can't be bright and rosy. I'm just talking 19 now. And we're talking about a team that averaged defensively. They allowed 4.9 yards a rush, so they were terrible against the run. They have lost their third corner to free agency. They've got underwhelming corners as far as I'm concerned. They've got question marks at safety, and now they've removed their 12-sack-a-year guy. Mitch is unfiltered. 
All right, before we begin this draft-heavy episode of 37, we got some business to take care of. Business. We got business, because I failed to mention it a week ago. I meant to, and so now we're a week behind. June 12th, 2019. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a Wednesday night at Daniel's Broiler Bellevue. Our second big Daniel's Dinner, Mitch Unfiltered Daniel's Dinner. Refresh people's minds about the first one that you attended. You were so nice enough to to attend with me for the uh, the NCAA basketball yeah, tournament. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, right there in, in Bellevue, we did a, a nice dinner with your favorite kind of system around selecting the NCAA tournament bracket, some tips and tricks and all that good stuff. Had yeah. a full, full room. It sold out within... Hours, hours, seconds, yes, minutes, minutes, yeah, and uh, no, it was a fun time had by all. Great to great to see everybody that was there. So number two coming up, yeah. So I didn't know that this would become a series or what, but the success and how quickly the first one filled up led us to believe let's do another one. Mm. So the next one is June twelfth, two thousand and nineteen. It's at six thirty, just like the last one in Bellevue. It's on the eve of the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach starts the next day so we're going to do a big dinner with q a and fun and laughs and speeches and then we're going to add a u.s open you know what a calcutta is do you think most people know what a calcutta is a u.s open pool do you know what that means i i think that people that like golf probably do but maybe not i don't know you know i'm, you not, a, know. I'm not a gambler but so. you've played in member guests yes. and so forth yes you've never seen a calcutta happen at one of these member oh, guest yeah, tournaments yeah okay course. so you people, do know people then you do know. Well, you said it generally. I thought you were speaking to the masses, I am. not speaking I am. to me. No, I'm yes. speaking to everybody and yes, you. Yes, I have seen yes. several dollars be exchanged at okay. a member guest okay. on a Calcutta. So I'm thinking we'll do a fun U.S. Open Calcutta. Mm-hmm. We'll take like the top 15, 20, 25, 30 guys that are starting in the U.S. Open the next day. Yep. And we'll auction them off. And we'll do like teams, like table teams versus other table teams. We'll have a big, a big bash at Daniel's Broiler on the night before the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. I think it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be great. So, wine and beer, appetizers, this is all included, salad, the best steaks in the Pacific Northwest, of course, salmon, vegetarian meals if you want them, side dishes like veggies and mashed potatoes, you got your dessert, you got your free parking, you got your pool, you got your Calcutta, you got the Q&A with us. It's just going to be a fun, fun night on Wednesday, June the 12th. And so while it's going to be a fantastic evening, like last time, very limited seating. Mm -hmm. It's just we've got what we've got. And so we've already taken pre-orders on reservations from patrons and people that were at the first one. We gave the first dibs to people who were at the first one and the patrons. And I was told late last week that we are about a third full at the moment. Okay. So we've got two-thirds of the spots open as of now. We're putting the banner at the top of MitchUnfiltered.com. You go uh, over to MitchUnfiltered.com. Right at the top, you click it on. It says, like, U.S. Open Dinner at Daniel's Broiler. Click on it. Make your reservation. But there is limited seating. So if you wait. Act now. You got to act now. If you mm-hmm. wait, then, and last time, as you point out, the first day that we opened, I never thought it was going to sell out the first day right. that we opened. But I guess this potentially could do the same. So if you'd like to be a part of the U.S. Open dinner, the fun U.S. Open dinner with you and me at Daniel's. Hopefully you'll be there. Uh, You go to MitchUnfiltered.com, click on the top banner, and make your reservation to secure your spot and your guest spot, all right? 
That's the way he goes. Business. That's the business. That's the that's the business at hand. Thanks to Daniel's Broiler of Bellevue. All right. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with episode thirty-seven, the naming of the episode? You want to start with Doug Baldwin? No, no. You got to start with the naming of the episode. There's not much to do with the naming of the episode because thirty-seven sucks. In fact, let's just put it this way: it sucks so bad that. National magazines like Sports Illustrated and the like have actually mentioned Sean Alexander as the greatest 37 in the history of sports, all sports. He's in the conversation. That's how bad 37 is. I mean, I, I'm not a huge Sean Alexander fan. Yeah. I'm an okay, I, I, I'm okay with him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge fan of his when he was here. But to think that he would be the best. In the conversation. That tells you how pretty bad that he number is. He wasn't an awful football player. You're making it sound like he was an awful football no, player. I, no, I'm making it sound like the fact that he is a part of the conversation for greatest 37 in the history of sports yeah. should tell you that, there that 37 isn't strong. Yeah. 37's not 23 or 32 sure. or 33, sure. right? It's it's just not. Okay. So You've got me excited to hear this, this laundry list of 37 here as you're shaking your head. You ready for... Sonic's 37? Sure. You just heard them. Okay. There's not one. Not one. No one ever wore 37 for the Sonics. Okay. Uh, Bill Cottle. Bill Cottle. Norm Charlton. Norm Charlton. Okay. The Sheriff. Sheriff. Wore 37 for the Mariners. Nationally. Wait a minute. That's it? That's it. The best Seahawk. The best Seahawk Seahawk is is Sean Alexander. Alexander. So it's Sean Alley. Locally, Sean Alexander, Bill Cottle, Norm Charlton, and no, no Sonics. Okay. All right. Nationally, Doak Walker, yeah. SMU running back back in the day, wore 37. Dave Steve wore 37. Lester Hayes, the corner mm-hmm. of the Oakland Raiders, wore 37. Manager Casey Stengel mm-hmm. wore 37. That's about it. I just named him off. Bill the Spaceman Lee mm-hmm. at one point wore 37 out of the Boston Red Sox bullpen. I, I don't have much for you. Sean Alexander. I think unless you want me to go Casey Stengel no, or Doak, no, no, no. I could go Doak Walker. He won the Heisman Trophy, I think, in 1948. He was a, a great college running back. Didn't have much of an NFL career, I don't think. He's way before my day. But I, are you a Sean Alexander guy? Did you like Sean Alexander? you love Sean Alexander? Where are no, you on Sean I, Alexander? I think I'm in the probably like – It was polarizing. Very polarizing. I didn't I – didn't, now listen – as running backs go, yeah. the shelf life of running backs is not very very long. And Sean definitely made his as long as he possibly could by running out of bounds <laughs> or falling on the ground. Yeah. So there, that's what that. I will say. Yeah. That's, he did do that. Yeah. But he was great in the red zone. When he got near the yes. goal line, he stuck his head in there. Yes. And did what he had to do to score. Scored a lot of touchdowns. A lot of touchdowns. Did not... Did not try to get that extra yard no, after contact. Did not try to catch the ball out of the backfield. Yeah. Did not particularly want to block for his quarterback as running backs are supposed to do. Yeah. But when he was near the goal line, his eyes lit up like saucers. Yeah. And he scored a lot of touchdowns. He was the MVP of the league. I mean, he had a I know. he had an outstanding yeah. career for the Seattle Seahawks, and yet he was very controversial here. Remember, he called uh, Mike Holmgren stabbing him in the back by not giving him the ball at right. the one yard line <laughs> late in a in a year to get some sort of a record. Yep. Yeah polarizing figure For Sean sure. Alexander but I don't have any other way to turn okay I think this is episode Sean Alexander Sean Alexander we'll have to figure it out at the very very end second down and nine from the 41 Alex-
Alexander with blockers in front of him. Alexander bounces it inside. Alexander, burst of speed, touchdown Seattle. 41 yards. Blitz coming, deep for screen to Alexander. Oh, the perfect call. Alexander breaks the tackle off to the racing. Needs a block. Stronger the backs, that's Alexander. Look out! Alexander to the 30, 25, cuts right at the 20, 5, end zone, touchdown, Seahawks! What does it mean to you to hear that Doug Baldwin's getting ready to call it quits? Sad. There's not that many players, especially as you get older. When you're young, when you're young, you love everybody. Your your hometown team, you love everybody on the roster, right? And you have your favorites, of course, but you love everybody. When you get older, there's just certain people. You know, that one guy off a team is the Who guy. Who resonates that he, with that's you. That's right. And, and and why does he resonate with you? Part of it is his story, right? Just his story, you know, coming into the league. and Undrafted. Undrafted and having eight years of really, really solid foot, playing through a lot of injuries, especially the last couple of years. But being at that presence for a guy that, you know, took the reins and could stand on the podium and could deliver the message, whether it's, for the Seahawks or outside of the Seahawks, larger social issues. Doug, Doug Baldwin's a real dude. I mean, I like that guy a lot. Yeah, me too. Uh, always liked interviewing him. Yeah. Always had something to say. Didn't mince words. Just really, really articulate. Uh, I never thought that I really loved the, the whole angry Doug Baldwin. He did carry a little bit of a chip on his shoulder early in his career because undersized, undrafted, mm -hmm. And went ahead and used that to his advantage. Mm -hmm. I think it motivated him. But what what a receive what a slot kind of possession receiver he turned out to be. And then some. He was oh, not yeah. just a slot possession. For sure. I don't mean to pigeonhole him into that. I mean he's just so great at that role. But yeah. you know they would throw the ball down the field with him. The the the, the control over his body, the feet inbounds. I mean I'm thinking of the I'm thinking of the last few playoff games. I'm just thinking. And, and I just, I just, yeah. I mean, he was just always right yeah. there, yeah. right there. Always seemed to make the play. And if this is the end for Doug Baldwin, I think a lot of us, I think many, many, many Seahawks fan, the Seahawks nation, the Twelves, yeah. will be saddened by the end for Doug Baldwin. But at the end of the day, he's a small guy, comparatively speaking, sure. and a lot of injuries, and they stacked up. And now this kind of came out of nowhere during the draft three days that. He's getting ready maybe to file his paperwork to say he's done, mm -hmm. which leaves the Seahawks in not the most enviable of situations. Uh, I want to get to just how bad it looks from a wide receiver hmm. standpoint for the Seahawks here in a second, but uh, he did send out a tweet. He broke his silence and he sent out a tweet. It was kind of a funny tweet. It read, I read all the comments and heard all the theories this journey through eight seasons has been an incredible experience, and the story is still not done. I'm looking forward to finding out what happens next, but I want to be the first one to say it. Jon Snow has to die for Khaleesi. He is the rightful heir to the throne, but doesn't want it. His drive is to save humanity. Khaleesi only knows conquest and sacrificing himself for her will teach her true love. Thus, how she would rule or should rule with love. You heard it here first. Now, you have no idea what that no is. No idea. You, I'm talking a completely different language. I basically, I thought you were about to say something about him 
potentially retiring. And now that's you, the whole joke. And now you're speaking gibberish. So I'm glad I'm speaking gibberish to you because I'm. I thought it was gibberish to me, but I understood the joke. The joke is it's Game of Thrones. Okay. He led everybody down the path that he was going to talk about his retirement, yeah. and then it was all about Game of Thrones. I guess he's a big Game of Thrones guy. Right. I've never seen. I don't even know one iota about Game of Neither. Thrones. Neither. I couldn't tell you what it's about. You are. You and I are the only I've ones never seen one listening episode. to this right now that don't know anything about Game of Thrones. Not a thing. I am culturally, pop culturally illiterate when it comes to both Game of Thrones. And this new movie out that my son has already seen twice, mm. The Avengers. Oh, yeah. My wife and son went and saw it the other day. Okay. Will you go see The Avengers? No. No. Mm-hmm. And you don't know anything about The Avengers? Uh, I mean, oh. yeah. I mean, I know a couple of the characters. Oh, you and do? All that. Yeah, yeah. Tell but, me. Tell but me. But there's nothing to tell. Like, yeah, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing to I don't to know tell. anything about The Avengers, except that my son's seen it twice well, already. Well, it's the collection of all the superheroes, right? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's a big movie. Yeah. It's a huge movie. <laughs> it's a huge movie. Can't get in, but- some of us don't really want to get in. I do just before I get, you know, nasty grams on Twitter. Yeah. I know that this is the last season of Game of Thrones because how could you not know it's everywhere? Yeah. But once the whole thing is done, I'll probably watch it all. I won't. I will. I'll probably watch it all. That genre doesn't do anything it doesn't for do anything me. For you? Yeah, no. Yeah. No. I, I just I, I think I've turned it on before in the yeah. previous years and tried to watch five I don't or 10 have HBO. You don't. I don't. Which Not is, at the house. No, which is never. The, you the never. Main, you never had HBO. I've, I've had movie channels before, but I just don't. We don't watch a ton of television in my house. Right. So like it's. So the kids don't know Game of Thrones. Your kids don't know no, Game of Thrones. Huh. So nobody in the Hamilton household knows Game no. of Thrones. Good because nobody in the Levy household. No. Nope. I think we're the only homes. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> right. So uh, Baldwin, uh, you know, pulled kind of a fast one on Twitter. Because he, separ- he separated them into two tweets. So the first tweet was like dot, dot, dot. And oh. Everybody's waiting for the second tweet. And then he throws out the clever the whole Game of Thrones thing. But uh, yeah, can I just read to you the current Seattle Seahawks wide receivers? Are you going to include him as a current? No. Okay. I can if you want. Well, I just was curious. I mean, he hasn't officially, officially. He's, he's retiring. Okay. When he retires, if he retires, here are your here is your collection. Uh-oh. Of Seattle Seahawks wide receivers. Jerron Brown, Amara Darbo, Gary Jennings, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, David Moore, Keenan Reynolds, Caleb Scott, Malik Turner, and John Ursua. Now you give me a four wide receiver set. Out of that group right there. In fact, you give me a three wide receiver set out of that group right there. How you feeling about that set of receivers? Well, Tyler Lockett. Okay. That's okay. one. There's some production. There's, there's some production one. there. There's one. And then the rest of the crew. <laughs> Come on. You gotta have more than one kind of more sorta wide receiver. More sort of. They've got just that's the worst collection. Well, the no on. name. That's the no name collection okay. of all the National Football League. Thirty two out of thirty two. Now maybe some of these guys are going to step and be good. There's three of them were the guys they just drafted sure. in the last few days. Sure, for goodness sakes. But come on, how does that selection of wide receivers look to you? Well, it's certainly not the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, it's not like we're not we're not we're not comparing them. No. 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 They drafted. Here are the 11 guys that they drafted. Collier, Blair, Metcalf, Barton, 
Jennings Jr., Haynes, Amadi, Burr, Curvin, mm-hmm. you know that name, mm-hmm. Homer, Christmas, and Ursua. So they, they drafted, and they've got some undrafted free agents too in there. They drafted three wide receivers. So here's my – you and I, neither of us actually watched the television broadcast of the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. We both were out doing other things Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You were away. Mm-hmm. I was coaching and watching and cheering and doing all that type of stuff. But I almost feel like like I did because there's just so much coverage of the NFL draft. Yeah. The draft is everywhere. Right. It's social media. It's everywhere. I feel like I saw it, and I never saw it. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear. They ended up with 11 picks after they went in with four. They ended up with 11. Yeah. They didn't trade down, did they? I a mean, couple, I, I, couple I, times. I, can't, I can't imagine. Yeah, they added a few picks. Yeah. They, they, even, they even traded Frank Clark. Right. I think it's pretty clear. They have to get something from their number one pick. He's got to be, at worst, good. He's got to give them something. This LJ Collier, the defensive end out of TCU, mm-hmm. he's got to give them something. He cannot take a year or two. No, he's got to step in he, and he's be step productive. He's got to step in and be productive right away. Yeah. And he's a late, late, late first-round pick. He's, a, he's an edge rusher who many thought would go later in the draft. I don't know what the chances are, but he's replacing, essentially, he's going to try to replace the production of a guy named Frank Clark. Yeah. So he needs to be at the very least good. And then one of these three wide receivers, and I don't know who it's going to be. Everybody's talking about DK Metcalf. He's 6'4", oh. 230 pounds, Physical. chiseled. He ran a 4 three. three 40. Yeah. He was the combine darling, and everybody's talking about him, but I'm not sure he's going to be the guy. They got him, Gary Jennings from West Virginia, and John Ursua, who was their last pick, who's a slot guy, kind of like Doug Baldwin from Hawaii. Those are their three wide receivers. They better get – they one of these better pop mm-hmm. fairly soon for the Seahawks to have something right. from a wide receiver standpoint. But, you know, going back to the DK Metcalf thing, a lot of people thought he was going to be in the top 10 or 12 or 13 in the first round because of that great combine workout. Mm-hmm. And then he drops to the last pick of the second round. It's kind of pissy when he picks up the phone from John Schneider and Pete Carroll. He's kind of mad about the whole thing. He really? Cha- he changed his tune very quickly after oh, that. I didn't but see he was, any of this. He was a little pissy. But he just reminds me of so many other wide receivers that had unbelievable it seems like when you look at combine busts there's actually articles if you do a search if you do a search of guys that were great at the combines that ended up being busts in the NFL mm-hmm. and you get the rankings half of them are wide receivers it seems like out of every 10 combine greats that were busts in the NFL 5 out of every 10 are mm-hmm. wide receivers there are these guys like Stephen Hill you know some of these names Darius Hayward Bay mm-hmm. Matt Jones, Troy Williamson, even John Ross, these guys that go to the combine and they just run Blaze. these incredible, these incredible 40-yard dashers, or they lift like nobody's business, or they jump, or they just yeah. do something, or a combination of all of them, or they're huge like DK, DK Metcalf. Metcalf. 3% body fat, that, just ridiculous. About 1.6%. Okay. Um, and then they they come out, they get drafted. And they play three or four nondescript years, and That's you it. never and you never hear from them again. Well, I can understand why wide receivers might might be a lot of those guys on the quote unquote bus chart, and it's because of the the route tree, right? I mean, you think about the the offenses that NFL quarterbacks throw now. It's not it's not just run as fast as you can, as straight as you can. I'm going to throw it over the top to you. 
right? Right. You know, everything is – a lot of stuff is dink and dunk. You need possession receivers, and that's why a lot of the undrafted guys that can play in the slot and are possession guys make it over the big number guys. I mean, it just – it seems like that – Smarter over faster? Yeah, I mean – Is that you, what you're saying? Smarter tougher, over faster? Or tougher because who wants to run over the middle, right? There's not a lot of guys that are willing to take that punishment – Versus, yeah, I'll just run by you. But that, that's the, the percentages of those throws versus the percentage of I need seven, I need five, I need a bubble, I need whatever. Well, to continue on with your thought, if, you are, if you've always been a blazer, a wide receiver blazer in high school yep. and college, perhaps you've never had the need to learn the craft of getting open and running precise routes and setting corners up and doing the little heady strategic things right. that you need to do to get open because you've had this blazing speed all your life. So you've been able to just to run, but you've been, right. you've been leaning on it's the been, 99 mile an hour fastball. That's right. You just been, you just been leaning on that right. and using that to your advantage and you've never been forced to. And now you get to the national football league and they want guys who are precise and run routes a certain way, and have great, you know, and a lot of the guys that run four fives and four sixes, they had to learn that in college to be successful right. when the four three three six foot four 230 pounders didn't necessarily have to yeah. learn how to be a complete wide receivers because they just ran past everybody and put their arm up in the ball game. Think right? about Doug Baldwin, a willing guy in every way, as well as the one thing that people – don't talk about when they talk about receivers, you know, in a casual conversation. Yeah. Do you want to block? Are, can you block and do, are you a willing blocker? And, you know, it's it's great to see those guys that are like Doug Baldwin that downfield making a block, making a key block, a chip block, even on the line of scrimmage. A lot of those blazing guys, they're not trying to get in there. They're because they never it. had to. That's right. Because they run four three forty. So I don't know about DK Metcalf. He's certainly the, the measurables – Look out of this world. Yeah. I think all eyes will be on him in the first mini camp. I think the first preseason game that we turn on the TV and we're watching, we're watching all the new guys. We're gonna, our eyes are gonna focusing on DK. He's gonna have all the opportunities. I, I just read to you the yeah. wide receiver chart. There's not many guys on there that he's gonna have to. I, I mean, he's gonna get the opportunity to be a star right out of the gate. Yeah. Whether he will be or not, I don't know. And so on this episode, episode 37. We'll get Andy Benoit in here from Sports Illustrated to talk about the draft as a whole. We'll get the three writers that I mentioned in yeah, the next segment awesome. from each of the cities. These guys can tell it. We'll get somebody who watched DK Metcalf every game and will tell us why he dropped the 64 and whether he thinks that DK Metcalf is going to be one of these great receivers or whether he's going to be ones that we just mentioned that play three or four years in the league and then we don't hear from mm -hmm. him after that. Uh, so three guys, one in Salt Lake City for two Utah players, one in Oxford, Mississippi for DK Metcalf, and then one in Fort Worth, Texas for the TCU defensive end edge rusher that the Seahawks drafted in the first round. So we'll get a, an in-depth profile of all Love of it. those guys. And then Michael Sean Duger will come on and tell us from The Athletic Give us a full sense of where he thinks the Seattle Seahawks are and what they might do moving forward. There's still some free agents out there. They have some new money now right. because they traded Frank Clark and they got rid of his $17 million franchise tender and they they replaced him with a rookie who's a 1.8 or $1.9 million. So they've got money, but everybody says that the guys that are still available, there's a reason they're still available yeah, is because yeah. they stink. Yeah. 
Nobody or old. Even, yeah. They, they old. They stink. A combination of both. Yeah. They that they're long shots. So I don't even know that you want to spend the money that they have saved on Frank Clark this year. And then the question is, well, if you're not going to spend the money on Frank Clark that you saved this year, and he's on, he was going to be on a one-year deal, why'd you trade him in the first place? Mm. Well, I guess it was to get to get picks and to get new young talent. So we'll do all of that on episode 37. Is there anyone out there that's tossing around the idea of refinancing your home? Have you looked at your rates and the current rates recently? Perhaps you should be considering it. Really excited, Jason, about our newest partner, the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. Jordan Flowers and his team just a phone call away, and it costs you nothing but five minutes of your time to get on the phone, check into rates, check into opportunities. You could be saving a lot of money and putting money in your pocket. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage has three loan officers that are in the top 1% in the United States, and they are huge fans of this podcast, Mitch Unfiltered. So make sure that you mention that to them when you call because you might get some special treatment. 425-250-3150. Again, Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150. And that's the Kirkland Office. Over 55 years as a mortgage banker for Guild Mortgage, one of the oldest around, the 2017 J.D. Power number one lender in customer satisfaction. Find the loan to fit your life and select from hundreds of loan products tailored to your needs. Again, the phone number, 425-250-3150, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. As we continue our wall-to-wall coverage of the NFL Draft, kind of a national perspective on what happened over those three days, Thursday through Saturday of last week. Joining us is Andy Benoit. He's a writer, an NFL writer for the for the Sports Illustrated and for the MMQB podcast that comes out on Mondays. Andy, it was a busy three days. Was it a fun three days? Was it an exciting three days? Was it an interesting three days. Well, Mitch, I think it's always interesting because in the draft teams tell you what they really think. It's it's the whole action speaks louder than words scenario. And for the most part, you get a really good picture and idea of what the teams think of their current roster and their scheme and their approach and how they want to go about that. So from a, a football standpoint, it's always very interesting. I did think, I mean, this draft to me was a little bit boring, I guess. I don't know why that would be, but I, I have to do, uh, analysis and reactions to every pick so to some degree it's all the same to me because i i have the tv muted and i'm just typing non-stop and you kind of come up for error when it's all done and there were the, the whole thing to remember and this kind of takes the fun out of it especially for people in my profession but these guys are all just conceptual players at this point we don't know what they're going to be in the nfl half of them will not make it truly like they will not be in the league in three or four years uh, almost half the first rounders will not amount to to much even. So there is a certain amount of guesswork's the wrong phrase, but it's it's a very imperfect science drafting players. And I think smart teams understand that. You guys in Seattle have a smart team. They realize it's imperfect. So let's get as many draft picks as we can because then it becomes a numbers game. Right. You throw as much against the wall, and yep. if if twenty percent is going to stick, well then twenty percent of eleven is a lot better than 20% of four. 
essentially, yes, absolutely. And then in, with the rookie wage scale, that's really changed things. I'm sure that's been a conversation in Seattle a lot, too, because of Russell Wilson's contract. Uh, these rookies, these draft picks, they're more valuable than they used to be because of how much cheaper the rookie wage scale has not gone up at the same rate as the open market for veterans. So the bang for the buck is better on draft picks, and that's all the more reason to, to go quantity with them. Andy Benoit is the voice that you hear, Sports Illustrated, NFL writer, and, of course, the MMQB podcast, which comes out on Mondays, just like our Mitch Unfiltered. Uh, before we get to the Seahawks, just a general sense. If I had you on on Wednesday and I said to you, Andy, what are the two or three storylines that most intrigue you, questions heading into Thursday's first round, what would they have been? And now coming out of the draft, uh, are they the same storylines that interest you? Or did something happen over the course of the three days that you think, hmm, that's interesting? Yeah, I, you know, the, the whole Josh Rosen, Kyler Murray thing is interesting to me because it, I, I, I've never seen a team with a number one overall pick basically be backed into a corner to some degree, which is what the, the Cardinals were with trading Rosen because of the unique circumstances surrounding Murray and, and having the new head coach and, and all that went into that. I thought the Dolphins got away with an unbelievable deal. I knew some team would. I, 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 somebody was going to get an incredible value and deal for Josh Rosen, who is a good prospect and, and would have been in conversation for a top five pick if he were coming out this year. So that to me was the most interesting part of the draft. DK Metcalf falling in the draft surprised me a bit but I haven't I hadn't studied them closely and I guess the more you think about from a football standpoint the less surprising it is but uh, Seattle got a good value with that that was probably the most interesting story in day two so it's any pick though can be interesting because of what it means for a team and how they want to go about filling their scheme when you look at that Josh Rosen trade you love it for the Dolphins and I'm a I'm a lifelong Dolphins fan I grew up in South Florida kind of in the shadows of uh, the Orange Bowl and so forth you look at that Dolphins deal and I don't know that Josh Rosen's any good I don't know that it'll ever be any good but they gave up a second rounder the amount of money that they are uh, they are on the hook for over these next what three or three or four years is so small. It's actually less than backup quarterback money just because he was paid yep. so much in in Arizona for that first year. So it just seems like it's a it's a no brainer. Let's give the guy the ball and see what he's got. And if it doesn't work out, even if he ends up a backup quarterback, it hasn't cost as much. Yeah, and, and exactly right. And he's you know he's a timing and rhythm player with excellent precision accuracy, which that usually transfers well to the NFL. So last year in Arizona, they had a horrible offensive line that then got depleted by injuries. They changed coaching staffs on offense or play callers and systems midway through the season, which never helps a rookie QB, of course. And they had a subpar receiving core, which also later got dinged by injuries. There was no QB on earth, Mitch, would have thrived under those circumstances. So I, I think you almost have to just toss out Rosen's rookie year, at least the results of it. You can always look at the guy's process and see how was he playing the game. And I thought he looked very good on film at times. Now he needs to be more consistent, but that can probably, you could say that gets chalked up to the circumstances he was in. So this isn't just a cheap QB in, in my opinion. So potentially it's a really good, we, we don't know. Cause again, these guys are all just prospects, but stylistically and from the small sample size we've seen of Rosen so far, 
I think he's a very intriguing prospect. I think he can be a, a, a really quality QB in the right system. What uh, teams did well in your estimation? I know that you have a piece out there right now on SI and the MMQB where you have to do the grades. I know the dreaded grading of all, yep. the, all the different teams, which is kind of impossible, and you just put yourself in a position to look bad in a few years. But you took on the task. You took on the challenge, Andy. So why don't you share with us uh, who got the great grades, who got the lousy grades? I'm sure the Seahawks were somewhere in between. Yeah, they they were, and I, I love the way you teed that up, too, because that's exactly what the draft grades Draft grades are a necessary evil. I understand why people like them. Uh, and fans want to read it. It's a good way to summarize things, but they really don't mean anything because we don't know who any of these players and what they really are. But I, so how I grade is based on, is there a continuity with the way the picks and the style of player that they drafted? Is there a continuity that relates to the scheme and the way the team wants to play? And some of the teams that I thought did really well, Minnesota found uh, Bradbury at center is a perfect fit for their scheme. That's a hundred percent fit. Uh, that kind of thing to me is what the draft is all about is, is finding the best fits for how you play because that, that does matter. Scheme does matter. So Minnesota was great. Uh, Green Bay found the type of defenders that go in Mike Petton's scheme. It's kind of, it's a multidimensional reckless abandoned type of scheme and Darnell Savage at safety gives them some versatility there. Then Rashawn Gary, that's a good, uh, good uh, fit for him and where you want to play and how you want to play with him. Um, Miami, because of the Rosen trade, that's going to bump them up. Buffalo was solid in terms of addressing needs. Uh, as far as who had low grades, I always hate giving a low grade. I think I gave the Colts a low grade last year, Mitch. I don't really remember, but obviously that would be ridiculous because they wound up having a couple of all pros. So low grades, big-time grain of salt. But Oakland, if you wanted to take umbrage with what they did um, – Cleland Farrell, stylistically, if he's good at everything, great at nothing, is that really worth a high first-round pick? And maybe they see him differently than that. And then taking a safety late in the first round, I do think safeties have become more valuable in today's NFL. But in Oakland's scheme, they're a two-deep zone coverage-based scheme, and that's one of the few systems where safeties really aren't overly valuable. So that, that kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit. How about the quarterbacks five years from now, seven years from now? Are we going to know anything about Haskins, Locke, Jones? Uh, do you think Murray will be a star in, in the National Football League? Do you think he'll be playing baseball in five, five years from now? Uh, it, seems like, uh, it seems like a really, really big crapshoot, at least with this group of quarterbacks. I agree with you. I think every group is inherently a crapshoot. Murray is a, a fascinating prospect because he's so unique. Really, the only comp would probably be Russell Wilson, and they're a little bit different. I know Murray was Wilson's size of the combine, but he played much lighter than Wilson uh, in college at Oklahoma. So you assume he's going to be a, a, a slighter version of Wilson, and can he take hits, and can he avoid hits as well as Wilson does? He's quicker and faster than Russell, and he has a livelier arm. Now, I don't know if that means he'll be a better thrower in the NFL. Wilson's so good at touch and precision accuracy on improvised throws outside the pocket. But stylistically, Murray looks like a more potentially a more extreme version of Russell Wilson. That is really interesting to me because we can talk in great length about what that means and, and how you build a team around a guy like that. I do think he's the most intriguing QB prospect. Haskins, uh, classic pocket passer. Can he move within the pocket with subtlety and nuance? 
That's the question with all these guys. Uh, you do have to play from the pocket in the NFL, and you have to be poised within the pocket. Otherwise, your system will have to have some very unique wrinkles and caveats, and, and no team has really been able to pull that off. So uh, Haskins is interesting. Daniel Jones, for similar reasons. Those three guys are the ones that stand out. We'll see what happens with Drew Locke. It's a lot of arm strength there, but arm strength is only as good as the accuracy that you back it up with. Sports Illustrated NFL writer Andy Benoit is with us of the MMQB Catches podcast on Mondays as well. You mentioned briefly the DK Metcalf story. I have to ask you about it just because I sit here in the Pacific Northwest where we're looking at an impending retirement from one of their great receivers, Doug Baldwin, and everyone here is wondering, okay, who's going to catch the ball from Russell Wilson this year? And along comes Metcalf and his 4.33 40-yard dash and his physical imposing frame and his 200 and whatever it is, 30 pounds, and yet... Some people thought he would go really, really high. He goes in the last pick of the second round. We've seen these workout darlings, these physical specimens before, year in, year out, and yet most of them don't ever amount to much. Well, yeah, he's a one-dimensional player. He does not have a lot of flexibility, so he's going to have a limited route tree. And as long as you understand that, and that's why he fell in the draft, so as long as you understand that, you can build accordingly. I did think Seattle needed what they call an X receiver, an ex-ISO receiver, a big body that plays by himself outside. Uh, David Moore was that guy for him last year, and he's really not a starting caliber ex-ISO. So Metcalf gives them that dimension. And if you run him vertically, the safety still has to react. So he can influence coverages and defenses. And then what I also like is with Wilson's unique style and the way he goes to Sandlot as often as he does, that offsets some of the route running limitations that Metcalf is believed to have. Because Wilson's an off-schedule QB a lot of the time, and route running becomes very ancillary when you go off schedule and the game becomes about other things and size and, and, and instincts and feel for spatial reasoning. That stuff is what you value in a wide receiver. So it's a different brand of football for Metcalf potentially. And I like that. The, the idea though, like, like, Oh, he's here to replace Baldwin. They are two utterly different players. And the Metcalf pick, I can guarantee you had nothing to do with Baldwin's course, situation. Of course, of course they, yeah. They yeah. needed that guy anyway. So the, and then losing Baldwin hurts this offense more than adding Metcalf helps this offense. Baldwin's a tremendous talent, and they built a lot around him and his unique slot abilities. That's an, that's a lot of adjusting they're going to have to do if they don't have that guy, and I, I don't know where they'll find that guy now. Well, they drafted some other guys that more fit the bill of a slot receiver, including the guy that they drafted last who, who caught like 16 or 18 touchdown passes, a kid out of Hawaii. Is there anybody... Of the 11 guys that they did draft, was there any one player that just was a little more interesting to you, Andy, than the others? Or were you covering so many different players that none of them really stand out? Yeah, it's, it, it, if I'm being honest, it's probably the latter. You know, we don't, I, don't, I, I don't have as intimate as knowledge, of, especially with the later round picks. Again, it's all about what style of player. But I'll, I'll say this, and, and your listeners can, can judge for themselves, Mitch. What makes Baldwin special is he, he plays light on his feet and has a subtle, deceptive, shifty nature to his movement that allows him to really set up his routes well and to, to create his own space 
at different points in the route. So he's a space creator out of the slot, and he also can can work in unison with other guys. He sets up other players' routes by the way he, he controls his body. So it's a unique combination of skills. It's very similar to what the Patriots look for in slot receivers. Edelman's a lot like Baldwin. Amendola, is, is, to a lesser degree, has been like that. So stylistically, there are those guys do exist around the NFL, but Baldwin was so good at his body control is so great. They designed a lot of stuff around that. And then some of this gets down to football instincts and football IQ as well. So do you have the physical attributes of Baldwin, which you are hard to find? And then can you apply them on the field with the same acumen as Baldwin did? That's two big ifs. Right. Last question for Andy Benoit, the MMQB Sports Illustrated. And that is what comes next? Obviously, the Clark trade gives them some cap flexibility if they want to go out and spend money. If there's anybody out there at this late stage in the game that's worth any money, uh, the Baldwin retirement may or may not have snuck up on them. Is there an edge rusher? Is there a receiver? Is there anybody that you would tell us, Andy, keep an eye open because maybe John Schneider and Pete Carroll would get in the mix to bring in one or two more players in the, I don't know, fourth wave of free agency come come May? Well, the, the harsh reality is all that remains in the fourth wave of free agency are guys that can maybe fill a specialized ancillary role for you. There, there aren't any guys that will change the nature of your scheme or give you 50 quality dynamic snaps a game. If they were, they would have been signed in the first wave. So they, they might be looking. I, mean, I read a headline a few minutes ago, Mitch, uh, Seahawks looking to add pass rushers. That looks like a great headline, but there aren't any pass rushers. They've all been signed or drafted now. So How about Ziggy? Ziggy Ansah? Yeah, that's an interesting one because I still think the, the general sentiment is true, though. If Ansah, if there weren't negatives about him and questions about his health, his durability, he would have been signed by now. And these teams have surely looked into him very closely because he is a uniquely long body with some explosiveness, and that's an unusual trait, combination of traits. So uh, on-site, stylistically perhaps, but he's damaged goods at this point, so you have to assume no. Right. That doesn't mean you shouldn't sign him because you can still sign these guys at a great deal. And, yeah, 1% of them are going to prove me wrong in what I'm saying. There's always outliers, and, and it's worth taking a flyer on. But you can't bank on these things. You can't assume that you're going to find someone else that can do even 70% of what Frank Clark did for you. You You have to believe that you've got that already on the roster. Andy Benoit, Sports Illustrated, and listen to his podcast, the MMQB. Also follow him on Twitter. Andy, it was a very, very rough and tumble three days for you. Thanks for carving out some time for us on Mitch Unfiltered. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate you. So that's the voice of Andy Benoit of Sports Illustrated and the MMQB. And for whatever it's worth, the 11-man NFL draft class for the Seahawks received a B- minus in Sports Illustrated. Ah, you've heard me say that Evergreen Golf Call is the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. You've heard me talk about CEO Tyler Hay, one of the 40 under 40 in the Puget Sound Business Journal, who thinks he can play some basketball but really can't, just none of his employees want to break the news to him. You know that Evergreen Golf Call is the reason why a listener and his or her guest will be traveling to Pebble Beach with me in July, staying at the Lodge, playing Pebble and Spyglass just a few weeks after the U.S. Open is there by picking winners in the four major championships in our big contest. 
Evergreen Golf Call also helped me give away 44 prizes in the Unfiltered Madness, which was the biggest NCAA tournament office pool anywhere in the Northwest. Managing over $2 billion in assets, the 2018 fastest-growing wealth manager, over three decades of experience, a newsletter with 10,000 readers, and and even a podcast now, the Evergreen Exchange. I listened to the, the pilot episode the other day. Still some work to be done, but it's going to be good. I promise you that. With offices in Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco, the Napa Valley 2, Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Let's get a little education on some of the higher draft choices of the Seattle Seahawks over the weekend. It was a big weekend in the world of sports and the NFL draft. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline from Fort Worth, Texas. He covers TCU football, basketball, baseball. He's Drew Davison, and he's going to tell us about their first-round choice, L.J. Collier, 6'2", 283. With the 29th pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select L.J. Collier, defensive end, TCU. Ellinger with time, but the coverage downfield leads to the pocket collapsing. Secondary with the assist for L.J. Collier to pick up the sack. Texas Tech, the second quarter, no points. First time they hadn't scored. Look at Collier. There's Collier for another sack. So on first down, this is Barnes, and he is denied in the backfield. L.J. Collier. Uh, Drew, he's the most important draft choice that the Seahawks made over the weekend because of the trade of Frank Clark and their incredible need for somebody who could come off the edge and rush the quarterback. Is L.J. Collier that guy right away in the National Football League, or is it going to take time, do you think? Well, I I think it might take time for him to really reach his max potential, but I think he's going to step into Seattle and certainly contend and probably – uh, fight for that starting job. I think he's really got some versatility along the line at the next level, too. He can play DN. He can play three-tech. Uh, he's even done some stand-up stuff at TCU. So I think he's going to kind of be a Michael Bennett-type guy, type versatility uh, for Seattle. And, and you know, he, he's a guy I think fans are going to fall in love with. He kind of has a old-school mentality. He loves to bull rush. He loves to get in people's face. He's a very physical guy. Uh, he he kind of plays, you know, w- w- with a nasty streak in him, if you will. Uh, so I think he's definitely going to really fit into the Seattle culture well. And, you know, certainly he's probably not going to be Frank Clark or Michael Bennett right at the start. But I, I think eventually he's going to get there because he's certainly a guy who's motivated and, and determined to, uh, to have success in the next level. Hey, Drew, a lot of the so-called experts were surprised that he went off the board in the first round. A, where did you think, if I had talked to you last Wednesday and asked you about him, what would you have guessed? And B, why do you think he, uh, in certain people's eyes, wasn't a first-round draft choice? Well, I I think if you would have asked me on Wednesday, I I think I would have pegged him as a second-round pick. And to be honest, at his draft party, his agent kind of gathered the the group around and said, the expectations, second round, uh, there are a few teams late in the first round or, or a couple teams I might try and trade into the first round to get LJ, but uh, our expectation second round. So certainly, and that is LJ's expectation too, to be quite honest. And uh, I think a lot of people probably saw the big knock, I think, was him only starting one year. Right. You know, was he a one-hit wonder? Right. 
why didn't he start, you know, more, more games at TCU? And, and the fact of the matter is, number one, he was TCU's had some pretty good defensive ends here uh, the, the last few years, and, and he was stuck behind them. And, and number two, uh, you know, it, it just took him time to really kind of develop and, and mature and, and become that kind of talent. But I definitely think he's a guy who's still on the rise, so to speak, still hasn't really tapped his potential. So that's what he's looking at doing. He's a first-team all-Big 12 performer. He's LJ Collier, 6'2", 283. We've all seen the videos by now, Drew, and we posted the video on our Mitch Unfiltered Facebook page uh, very impressive of him just running over people, running over tackles to get to the quarterback. The skeptic in me asked the question, does he have the speed and the wiggle to get around tackles, or does he only go through them on the way to the quarterback? Well, I mean, he certainly likes to go through them, but he does have – and, you know, I think his 10-yard burst on the 40 40- – will translate he ran a 491 or 493 that some people were kind of concerned about but he, he's still around a sub five for a guy at 280 pounds I, I don't think speed you know I, I think he's got the speed to, to get around the edge but certainly he's more of a bull rush kind of guy uh to, to start with and that's what he's going to be I think right from the start for, for Seattle you mentioned Drew Michael Bennett Pete Carroll mentioned Michael Bennett. John Schneider mentioned Michael Bennett in the comparison. And while we're there, I mean, I think that the uh, everybody can have a different opinion about this. My opinion about what made Michael Bennett so crucial for the Seahawks during their glory defensive years was he was equally adept at playing in the run as he was the pass. He was constantly, yeah, he was offsides a lot of times, but he was constantly <laughs> in the backfield and blowing up running plays, either making the tackle on running plays in the backfield or just getting so much penetration that he just disrupted the play to allow a teammate to make a, a play in the run game, in the run defense for negative yardage. Can LJ Collier be that guy? Has he shown in Big 12 games an ability to be that guy? Yeah, he definitely has. And, and against the run, he I, I think that's kind of an underappreciated thing especially when you look at his numbers. You know, he might not have kind of the eye-popping numbers. He had six sacks, 11.5 tackles for loss, which were solid, but, you know, certainly probably didn't scream first round. So we'll see uh, kind of how that translates to the next level. But I will say, you know, he did a lot to create opportunities for, for his teammates, kind of like you mentioned about Michael Bennett, creating holes and, and getting so much attention where – it took less attention off some other guys maybe that were able to kind of really make some play. So I think he's got kind of that natural ability and, and feel. And, and he and he's also a guy who's going to bring energy and, and play with the right mindset. Uh, just talking to his agent, he kind of has the Randy White, the quote-unquote manster from, from back in the 70s, the Cowboys defense, the Hall of Famer, uh, kind of his mentality of, of you know, I'm, I'm just going to line up and kick your butt and go full speed. So I, that's kind of his mentality mindset. Now, obviously, it's going to take some time, and, and we'll see how it translates. But uh, certainly the effort and the things of that nature, especially in the run game, uh, are, are going to be there. He had a big Alamo Bowl against Stanford, and he had a big Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Those were his two 
uh, his two moments late, late in the year that really propelled him, correct? Yeah, he had a great – yeah, the, the Alamo Bowl was coming off his junior season, had a really – that was kind of his breakout moment for TCU. Then, you know, he had real solid games against uh, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and he even played pretty well against Ohio State early on and, and, and finished strong in the Cheez-It Bowl. That's the bowl game. Uh, TCU was in this year to sack and a couple tackles for loss, and then but at the Senior Bowls, really when people started to take a notice him, you know he he handled himself very well against some of those Oklahoma offensive linemen down there. Dalton Reisner from K State was down there, and LJ beat him on a couple reps that I saw. So the Senior Bowls really where he kind of saw his stock start to rise, and I think that's when teams started going back and really studying his. 2018 film because you know he was always kind of uh known as an nfl talent but i think kind of from the senior bowl on is really when he pushed himself into the first round conversation what kind of kid is he to cover you know anything about him as a as a young man oh yeah he, he's a great kid you know he'll be great to deal with uh from a media perspective he tells it like it is he he's honest he's comes from a very small town monday texas yeah yeah. A tiny Texas town, kind of sandwiched between Abilene and Wichita Falls. Uh, less than 2,000 people there. Only graduated 25 people in his high school graduating class. And, and I thought it was real cool. His, his NFL draft party, he knew everyone at that party by their first name. I mean, he, he keeps a tight circle. He hasn't gotten a big head or anything like that. Uh, you know, everyone at his draft party uh, either knew him from Monday or TCU or was a close friend or yours truly, <laughs> covering it from a media for a second. But uh, his mother passed away after his freshman year at TCU, and that's really kind of been a driving, motivating force for him as well. He wants to make her proud, kind of wishes she was here. So, yeah, I think he's all around going to be a, a good, solid pro uh, for the Seahawks. Drew, thank you very much. Appreciate your time, and keep enjoying that TCU athletic program. Thanks for being with us on Mitch uh, Unfiltered. Thank you. Unfiltered. From Fort Worth, Texas to Salt Lake City, Utah, and the Salt Lake Tribune, Kurt Cragthorpe, who covers Utah football, the Utes. Uh oh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say Utes? Yeah, two Utes. What is a Ute? And uh, we've got a couple of them coming, Kurt, to the Pacific Northwest in the way of Marquise Blair and Cody Barton. Take it right from the top. We want to hear all that you know about these two guys. Yeah, there's a lot to tell. They both were great players to watch as their careers unfolded at Utah. And uh, I can say a lot of good things about each of them. Uh, it was interesting that a lot of times when you're doing these hometown stories in advance of the draft, you tend to overrate the guys you've watched yeah. play locally in college and think they're going to be drafted higher than they actually are, but in the in this case, the, the Seahawks took Marquise and Cody a little higher than a lot of us were, were anticipating, so it kind of validated what we had seen from those guys in their careers here, and, and I, I just really think they'll fit in well to the culture of Seattle's defense. Let's start with Marquise. Cross the middle, Jones able to stay on his feet, and then is knocked into tomorrow by who else? But Marquise Blair. Where did you think Marquise would be drafted? 
Kurt, let's start there. He was picked 47th overall uh, by the Seahawks. And you know about the Seahawks safeties, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, and the continuing pursuit and search to replace those guys. Uh, what kind of a football player is Marquise Blair when you watch him week-to-week week play in the Pac-12? Yeah, when you bring up those names, it starts to make more and more sense about what the Seahawks saw in Marquise and why they valued him as much as they do. We thought he would be in the third or fourth round range, just, just because it's it's hard to know again exactly. And maybe, you, maybe you're a little bit uh, hesitant to, to put too much stock in, in the local guys just because you kind of fear you're being biased a little bit. But but I can certainly see where he would be a, judged as a second-round talent. And, and particularly, he, he does have those traits. I, I know it's going to be this kind of ongoing discussion about comparing him to those legendary guys that have played for the Seahawks, but, but he really does have a lot of those similar abilities. Just, just a ferocious hitter. I think the question a lot of us would have about him is just, can he make the routine tackles? Sometimes as a safety, you just have to, to come up and, and plant your feet and, and absorb the hit, but, but in terms of delivering the hit, that, that's his specialty. And it, and it got him in trouble at, at times at Utah. He, he, he did have two targeting ejections last year one of which was against the Washington Huskies and, and really hurt the Utes to have him yeah. miss a, a big chunk of the second half of that game. That one was pretty questionable, really. It was actually on a running play uh, near the Huskies' own end of the field, and he just, he just came up and kind of finished off the play. And Kyle Whittingham, the Utah coach, really questioned whether that should be a targeting call. Now, the one he had against UCLA about a month later was probably a case of being a little bit undisciplined. It was a case where the Utes were way ahead, and and so it was costly for him to get that targeting penalty and miss the first half of the next week game against Arizona State that they lost. So, so that's that's will have to be reined in a little bit. But I, I think uh, an NFL team, and particularly the aggressive Pete Carroll defensive philosophy, they'd rather have a guy you have to dial down a little bit than than one you have to ratchet up to the proper level of physicality in the NFL and and Marquise is very versatile uh, in, in Utah's system the strong safety was kind of almost a hybrid linebacker type uh-huh. and so he played in the box a lot and they had a single deep high safety but Marquise also proved that he could cover down the field so I, I really think that he's a versatile guy and, and he can I know the Seahawks have talked about the fact he can play either safety spot and I really believe that to be true and I, I just think that they'll really use him well and, and really maximize his ability. You know, you talk about the targeting penalties and the subsequent ramifications. It sounds like that's almost the cost of doing business when you're the type of player that Marquise Blair is, when you're the hitter, the enforcer. So many of these guys we've seen over the years, you know, uh, it's just kind of what happens. They, they ride the fine line, right, of late and targeting to clean – and on time. Yeah, that's that's definitely part of his uh, charm, so to say. And I and I think actually, you know, what they're doing with the, the targeting rule in college football next year is 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 being more thorough in the evaluation of it and being more willing to overturn it. That they've talked about the fact that they're not going to just say a, a targeting call stands anymore. That it ha- it has to be validated and meet all the standards. And I think if you if you apply that 
particularly the one against the Huskies and, and maybe also the one against UCLA, that uh, you certainly could make a case that, that those may have been called roughness penalties, but, but definitely didn't meet all the criteria for targeting. But, but yeah. to your point, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I, just, I do think that the Seahawks will take advantage of the fact that he has that aggressive trait, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll find a way to rein it in just enough. Good kid? Any red flags? Yeah, he's a, yeah no, I, I, I think he's a pretty solid guy. In, in contrast to Cody, who has a really engaging, outgoing personality and, and was kind of, would be disappointed if he didn't get asked to be interviewed after practice, that kind of <laughs> uh, uh, attitude, which, which, which was refreshing for us in the media. Marquise is a much more quiet guy, and, and, and it was cooperative, but, ne- but never uh, elaborated in, in interviews. But, but, but he's, a, he's a solid guy, and, and he, uh, he really fit in well to Utah's program and, and, and got the most out of those two years that, that he possibly could have. I think the, the Marquise Blair selection makes a lot of sense to Seahawk fan just because of what we talked about earlier the search and they have some guys that played last year and some some returning veterans that play safety it just made sense especially when we heard a little bit more about him and for Pac-12 fans that remember him on the field on the flip side the third round selection of Cody Barton you just mentioned Cody 88th overall I think caught a lot of us a little bit by surprise because they seem to have three four five linebackers at all the spots they seem to be okay at linebackers so uh, unlock the secret, if you wouldn't mind, to Cody Barton. What's he all about? I know he plays all three or is able to play all three linebacker positions. Where does he excel? Tell us a little bit about his game. Yeah, he's a guy that uh, even going into his senior year, nobody was sure what kind of pro football potential he would have. But he, he really emerged as a senior. And it was, it was just a kind of a rewarding arc to his career to, to watch it all unfold. He, he played a lot as a sophomore going back a couple of years, and a lot of fans kind of considered him a liability. They'd had two really good linebackers the, the previous year, but by the time he got to his senior year, he he had done a couple, couple things. One, he'd really become a great student of the game and improved the mental aspect of it. And then, and then physically, he's always been a, a very good athlete, and he, he just took that up another notch going into his senior year. People last summer, I would ask, okay, who's, who was kind of the, the champion of the off-season program? And, and Cody Barton was the name that came to mind, and that was born out on the field. He, he really became a highly productive, consistent player as a senior. They, they had another linebacker, Chase Hansen, who had some injuries and ended up being undrafted and signing with the Saints yesterday. But, but between the two of them, they're – Undoubtedly, the best linebacking tandem Utah's ever had, and they, and they just their basic scheme just had the two linebackers. So those guys were asked to do a lot, and and Cody was was just relentless. He, he played sideline to sideline, and very sure tackler. There were some stats that came out recently that that he missed something like six tackles all season, and he was involved in 116 tackles. So he is totally driven to keep improving, and and I'm sure that's what will happen in Seattle. It sounds to me like if these two young guys don't get on the field as starters right away, which probably the odds are against them, uh, boy, Seattle Seahawks coverage special teams on punts and kickoffs could really improve with these two guys on them. Oh, I think they'll have a terrific attitude and aptitude 
as well for special teams. I, I can see them both excelling, especially Cody. I mean, he just he loves football so much that that he'll adapt to any role they give him and and really take advantage of it. They'll both be fun to watch in that regard for sure. Kurt, thank you very much for joining us on Mitch and Filtered. We'll uh, we'll watch these two Utah Utes up close and personal with the Seattle Seahawks. We appreciate your time. Yeah, it'll be fun. Thanks again. Unfiltered. All right, on Mitch Unfiltered, from the Salt Lake Tribune to the Oxford Eagle, from Salt Lake, Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah, to Oxford, Mississippi, Nathaniel Gabler is on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. He covers Ole Miss for the Eagle and DK Metcalf. With the 64th pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select DK Metcalf, wide receiver, Ole Miss. He is the human Batman suit physically. Never seen a physique like that on a wide receiver. Size, speed, and power. Kelly. Jump ball. Looking to throw on the first play. Wants to go deep. There's a receiver open. Right out of the gate. NWO. A TD. DK Metcalf. Tom going deep down the middle. And what a hand to grab. Touchdown Ole Miss. DK Metcalf. Were you surprised that he went 64th overall, Nathaniel? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone expected him to fall that far. I'd say the few days as it got closer to the draft, it kind of got the sense that he wasn't going to be that top 15 pick that a lot of people thought after the combine. Thought he might fall to the early second round, but I don't think anyone expected him to go as late as he did. Why do you think he went so, so late? I think a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that there's so much projection with him. He does a few things really, really well. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's got that physical specimen. It's kind of hard to find people at his size and weight that can run a 4-3-3. But at the same time, there's a lot of question marks. He doesn't run a lot of routes. He wasn't asked to do a lot of different routes here. So maybe he can, but there's just none of that on film. Was he the best receiver on Ole Miss's team? Best college football receiver? (laughs) No. Uh, the Titans took A.J. Brown, I think he was somewhere in the 50s, maybe 52. Yeah. A.J. is the all-time leading receiver at Ole Miss in like three of the four categories. I think the only one he doesn't have is career touchdowns. But, yeah, I mean, D.K. was hurt a lot of his time here. But, he, yeah, at no way was he ever the best receiver on this Ole Miss team. Does he have the highest upside? Maybe. But A.J. was always better when we're talking about college production. D.K. Metcalf uh, is the choice for the Seahawks at 64th, the, the last pick of the second round. Nathaniel Gabler joins us from the Oxford Eagle in Oxford, Mississippi, trying to figure this whole thing out. So he's a workout darling, and he's a physical specimen. Yeah. We've seen those guys before come into the NFL, and most of them come in and leave without much of a mark. Do you feel like that D.K. Metcalf will be one of those guys that will come and go and – will never really do much? Or do you think if surrounded by the right coaching staff, Nathaniel, and taught to to run the routes that you say he doesn't run, that he could be a, a special wide receiver in the National Football League catching passes from Russell Wilson? The nice thing, if I'm a Seattle fan, is that what, what DK does really well is run an incredible go route in that his size and speed, 
he can beat the press, go deep, and Russell Wilson, as everyone knows, throws a beautiful deep ball. So that match is kind of nice. The projection part of it, it's Phil Longo, who is now the offensive coordinator at UNC, was the OC here at Ole Miss during DK's time. Everything that they ran from the outside was on a vertical plane. So you had goes, hitches, a curl, whatever. There was like no in-breaking routes that he ever ran. It's very weird. None of us really understood why. So if you can get some coaching staff in there in Seattle that can develop him and teach him how to do those other things really well, I mean, the physical tools are all there. Will it come together? I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Who knows? What kind of kid is he? You've been around him. Uh, a lot of this will come down to how receptive to coaching, how coachable he is, how willing he is to work, all of that stuff. If uh, if the answers to those questions are not really, not really, and no, no, well, then he'll never make it in the National Football League. Yeah, so he's actually, I mean, it's funny. He's, he's an Oxford High School grad. So he went to Oxford High, went, I don't know, three miles down the road to Ole Miss, He's not like the most affable guy. He's not a great interview. He's not like overly personal, but at the same time, like he's a good kid. No one's ever had problems with him in the eight years that he's kind of been on the national ish stage here in Oxford. So like there's no red flags. There's nothing that suggests he's not a teachable, good kid that can learn all of this. Is he the most like personal guy? He's probably not going to do a bunch of commercials or, that sort of thing, but you don't need that to be coachable and be a good wide receiver, obviously. We'll have to wait and see. Nathaniel Gabler covers Ole Miss, Ole Miss football, Ole Miss basketball. DK Metcalf is the story. He's the third of the Seahawks draft choices. They took him at 64th overall, the last pick of the second round after some saw the 6'4", 230-pound chiseled frame, the 4.33 40-yard I think that's the fastest by a guy his size in the history of the combine yeah. and 1.6% body fat Nathaniel he's got your frame <laughs> you and him both 1.6% that's a pretty good number pretty uh, low number I don't actually believe that I think there have been some like smart sciencey people that know this way better than us that are like yeah you kind of need like 3% body fat to live yeah. so I don't know if that part's true the dude's a freak though he's chiseled <laughs> out of his mind it's terrifying to stand next to him, honestly. It makes me feel horrible about myself, but it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Thank you, Nathaniel. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. So a little NFL draft wraparound with stops in Fort Worth, Texas, Salt Lake City, Utah, and Oxford, Mississippi. It seems like just about every day now on Twitter, I find tweets and pictures from listeners around the Puget Sound that are enjoying Zeke's Pizza, and so many of them say that they're proud to support Zeke's because of Zeke's support of our podcast. Dennis Piccolato, and I hope I've pronounced it right, with his son in an old Montreal Expos hat, couple of patrons enjoying a cherry bomb, he writes, at the Tacoma location. Nick Allen even sent a picture on Friday of a Puget Pounder and I would love to see more. My son said to me just last night that we need to begin a hashtag, something like, I don't know, unfiltered in Zeke's or Zeke's unfiltered or I love Zeke's. Send me a tweet from any of the 16 great Zeke's pizza locations from Linwood South to Tacoma, a proud Northwest company that features amazing pizza, great salads, an assortment of craft beer. Get ready, Zeke. Seahawks Sundays are around the corner, and I'll be making the Zeke's tour to watch the Hawks. Zeke's Pizza, Homegrown in the Northwest. 
Unfiltered. Incredibly busy week last week and into the weekend in the world of the National Football League. All 32 teams are right now waving the flag and claiming victory, but not all the teams had victories. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, Michael Sean Duger, who covers the Seahawks, Seahawks insider for The Athletic. Michael, Sean, thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered, and tell us how you think John Schneider, Pete Carroll, and the crew did. They didn't come out with uh, the four picks that they went in with, right? Yeah, no, they did a good job of flipping those picks into, you know, more picks, because I like to remind people during the draft, like, look, you're going to have an eight-man draft class or a nine-man or a ten-man. You're not going to have ten starters out of that class, right? You'd be lucky to get all ten to make the 53 in the same year that they're drafted. That's just how it works, you know. So you, it's all about plate appearances. You know, you need swings in the draft. You want to take as many swings as you can. It's not, you know, you lose you lose a starter like uh, maybe it's a, let's say they lose like Doug maybe, you know, to, to retirement. You don't just take one receiver. You take three. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> you take three shots yeah. at, uh, at, at replacing Doug. I think uh, the year Marshawn was, was done – they took like three running backs. I think CJ, Alex Collins, maybe another kid, kid from Clemson, I think. You know, they took three shots at it. None of them worked out, but they took the shots. So you gotta you gotta get more swings in the draft. So turning four into eleven, even though that means losing Clark, uh, losing Clark and not paying him, you know, twenty million a year, you have to put that in the sentence. You know, doing that, that's impressive on its own, right? Even if even if you get what, three starters down the line out of 11 that's a good draft so michael sean how do you look at this team as opposed to where we looked at them three weeks ago three weeks ago we thought frank clark was going to play for them on the franchise tag and he'd be rushing the quarterback and getting his 10 12 13 sacks we thought that doug baldwin after an injury plagued season and off season would find his way back at least for one more year be in the slot be somewhat productive as a wide receiver as he's always been and now here we are three weeks later no Frank Clark and now it looks like no Doug Baldwin but instead we've got all these 11 new guys all these receivers LJ Collier is going to have to pick up the slack I don't know how much you can rely upon a young guy to come in and be something like Frank Clark where are the Seahawks in your mind as a football team right now Michael Sean based on where they were three weeks ago. Here's the thing about the offseason, right? Here's why the offseason in the NFL is so popular uh, without any games being played, right? Because 32 franchises can sell hope. You know, even, you know, everyone can sell hope in March. Everyone can sell hope in April. Uh, but what, what you can also recognize is cause for concern. You know, you remember that last year, when no one, no one nationally was really that high on the Seahawks. You know, I don't think the predictions were, the consensus wasn't four wins, like the players like to remind you. It was probably about like anywhere from six to six to nine. The problem is you have a bunch of guys on this roster, and you mentioned the 11 new dudes. I'll even extend it further to the receivers and some of the defensive backs as well. You just have a lot of guys who are unproven. And that's, that's concerning for the fan base and for, you know, outside observers because we're not there every day to see how, you know, a Caleb Scott is, is doing, you know, just develop. We're not there to see how a Tedrick Thompson is progressing. We only see what the team, you know, allows us to see. So from that perspective, you look at this production of guys uh, that they have on the roster, and even including the draft picks, we don't know what, 
David Moore will bring in year three. We don't know what Tedrick Thompson will do in year two as a starter. Like we don't know what Delano Hill would look like uh, as a starter. We don't we don't really know what Rashad Penny will do in year two. There's so many guys who are just like, well, you hope they're good. Right. You hope they got better. Right. You hope they put on more weight or got faster or got more discipline or you know are going to have more catches on more targets. It's all just about hope. And there's two ways to look at that. There's like, oh yeah. There's the optimistic side is, yeah, they can maybe be better and be good and we can count on them. Or it's like, well, that dude hasn't proven he's good at anything yet. So there's a cause for concern. So it's, it just depends on how you want to look at it. Obviously, if you're optimistic and you're a fan, you're like, yeah, Tedrick will be better. You know, or if not, this Marquise Blair kid will be. Or, you know, you look at it that way. But there are just so many guys on the team who are just unproven, you know, you know commodities. So that's, that's usually not great if you're a fan base entering – your uh, your season. What are they going to do with some of this money? Do you think they'll spend some of the money that they saved in terms of the cap with uh, the trade of Frank Clark? They've got 15 extra million dollars and change to play with. Uh, there are some veteran edge rushers available, the guy from Detroit and some of these other guys. What do you think? Will they be active or do you think that they've done what they're going to do in free agency and we shouldn't expect them to make any kind of a splash in terms of the money that they now have? I don't think anything you'd, anyone you sign in like May is like a splash. I think it's all like maybe like a drip, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, not a, yeah. it's not a big move. And, you know, I like to remind people is the Seahawks have $10 million extra in cap space from a move or 15 or 20, you know what they have, you know what they're going to do with it. They're just going to have $20 million extra. And the Seahawks aren't big spenders and they probably never will be because it's not the NBA good or even baseball for that matter but baseball is a little different uh championship teams are not bought they are drafted you know you it's it's about finding you know a a david moore in the seventh round who can be your number two receiver and you pay him 800k you know it's about finding your starting running back to run for 1100 yards and chris carson in the seventh round and you know pay him whatever 600k that's what the that's what roster construction is about so I don't expect them to make any big moves. Yeah, they may sign some defensive end, you know, Ziggy's an an option. So I don't expect much, you know, in terms of big moves. Yeah, they'll maybe acquire some guys off the waiver wire in July, you know, like they did a Marcus Smith a couple of years ago or bring in a vet in August like they did with bringing back J.R. Sweezy. Uh, but it's about drafting these dudes. It's about getting cheap labor to 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 go with your 140 million dollar quarterbacks that's going to mean giving them some seventh round slot receivers to, to to throw to and you know giving them some some second round dudes on the outside and having them hand the ball off to some seventh round running backs or sixth round running backs that's what it's going to have to be and to be honest that's the way you have to do it that's why taking those swings are more important because when you hit it on yeah, you know, if this Travis Homer kid, the running back they took out of Miami, turns out to be yeah. a stud, that's a huge hit uh, yeah. for them, and that's how you balance paying your quarterback eighty hundred thousand million dollars because you're paying the guys handing the ball to you know pennies. You know that's how you have to do it. The Seahawks have the right model uh, in that regard, so that I've, I'll I'll have faith. In. Michael Sean Duger is the voice. He uh, is the Seahawks insider for the Athletic. Before you go, Michael Sean, two last questions. A of these 11 guys that they drafted, not including all the undrafted free agents, are there one or two that stick out? That's number one. And number two, do you think that the Doug Baldwin retirement 
snuck up a little bit on the Seahawks. They obviously were in tune with all of his offseason surgeries and procedures, but it seems to me that maybe they would have been a little more active in you know February and March in the wide receiver market had they known they were headed down the retirement avenue with Doug Baldwin. Take on those two last questions. I don't think it snuck up on them just because I know the Seahawks know they're, they're, what their own guy is thinking and feeling. They know updates on his health, especially when he's in the in the facility. I think it's similar to the Russell Wilson deadline, you know, with his contract. We didn't find out about it until, you know, maybe April. They knew about it since February or January is what I, what I was uh, hearing. So I think, you know, I was hearing rumblings at, at the combine. That was in February. You know, heard it again in March at the owners' meetings. You know, so if, I, if it's getting to me, you know, second, third, fourth hand or whatever, then I'm Seahawks have their their ways of, of hearing that and preparing for it as well. And it wasn't going to be a situation where, all right, we may not have Doug, let's overpay for Cole Beasley. Right? That wasn't that was never going to be how they get down because of what I just said. You know, rosters aren't championship rosters aren't bought; they are drafted. What what uh what it means is hey we may not have Doug let's take this kid out of Hawaii in the seventh round who can maybe play some slot or let's take this Gary Jennings kid who played some slot yeah. and then let's take like a DK Metcalf who's not slot but he's the outside guy boom well now we take those swings at, at replacing the guy so I think they've known for a while and I think this is their version of that plan it's not it's not a one-to-one reaction. It's like, hey, we lost Doug. Let's overpay you out Cole Beasley or like trade for Jarvis Landry or whatever. You know, go find, go buy a slot receiver. All right, it pick one. Doug, All right, right? Circle, circle one, Michael Sean. Circle one of the 11 that just piqued your curiosity for whatever reason. And tell us why. Uh, I think it's the kid from Hawaii. Uh, I, the last I re- pick. I really do. John I, Ursua. I, I like, yes. Yep. I like his production. Uh, I think he was really, I think there wasn't a lot of guys who had a, who had great, production uh, in their draft class other than Ursua who led the nation in touchdown receptions at just five nine uh and obviously he wasn't playing a bunch of world beaters in the mountain west dbs but you know him ben burkirvin uh obviously the washington linebacker lj's production was good which it should be for a first round pick but in between that there's a lot of guys who just have skills which is good but I like I like the production uh, that he that he had as well. You know, you look at some of those guys they took. You know, the running back never cracked a thousand yards. The defensive tackle never had a sack his senior year. You know, just little things. Uh, you know, so I, I'm leaning towards guys who like have produced at the college level. It just gives me more faith that they will produce at the pro level. There's no guarantee, but with a guy like John Ursua, who was really dominant for his size at that position. Uh, yeah, that's a guy who I, I'm curious to see what he uh, what he does when the Seahawks get their hands on. Michael Sean Duger, the uh, Seahawks reporter slash insider for the Athletic. You can follow him on the Twitter at Mike Duger D U G A R. Thank you, appreciate it, Michael Sean. It's nice to visit with you. Thanks for being on uh, Mitch Unfiltered. No problem, man. I gotta give a shout out to my roommate Kev, man. He loves he loves you, loves you, loves you on the air, loves the podcast, man. So as soon as I told him, like, hey, man, I'm gonna be all with Mitch, he was super excited, man. So I'm glad to do it. Thank you, Michael Sean. All right, man. You take care, Michael Sean Duger, local guy who covers every day the Seahawks for the Athletic. Mother's Day is just about here. We want to make every mother know how much we care about them. That's easy. We take them to Daniel's Broiler. Those who want to impress their guests know that Daniel's Broiler accomplishes that goal with ease on an everyday basis. 
This Mother's Day, Daniel's Broiler will be open for special hours to help you celebrate Mother's Day in style. Both Daniel's Bellevue and Daniel's at South Lake Union will be open from noon to 9. Daniel's Les Shy open for brunch at 9 to 3. And from 4 to 9 on Mother's Day, Daniel's downtown location at the new Hyatt Regency has created a special Mother's Day buffet, a carving station of ham and prime rib, omelets to order, eggs benedict, bacon sausage, French toast, fruit yogurt, cold, smoked, wild salmon, and much more. Downtown Mother's Day Buffet is $60 for adults, $20 for children, 6 to 10, and free for children 5 and under. Make your Mother's Day reservation today by going to danielsbroiler.com and clicking on the restaurant of your choice. Happy Mother's Day from Daniel's Broiler. Unfiltered. All right, last segment of episode 37. There were five interviews since the last time you and I chatted right. on episode 37. We had three guys on that covered the top four picks of the Seahawks. We had the Athletics Seahawks beat reporter to give us a Seahawks picture as a whole. And we had Andy Benoit mm-hmm. from Sports Illustrated on the on the draft as a whole, the whole international phenomenon that is the NFL draft. Yep. I've got my new quarterback, by the way, Josh Rosen. You do. I'm, I'm a huge Josh oh, Rosen fan. Oh, you are fan. now, yeah. I was going to say. I love that deal. Oh, I, it's a great deal. It's an unbelievable deal. It might be an unbelievable deal for just a horrible quarterback. I'm not convinced that he'll be anything more than horrible. <laughs> but the deals you have to take the that deal. The deal is unbelievable. You yeah. realize that for the next three years, they've got this guy for less money than the average backup quarterback. Correct. That's what they have to commit to Josh Rosen in Miami. So they give him the ball, and they say, hey, let's see what you got, and if it works out. Everybody's trying to tell me, even in the last few segments of this show, everybody's trying to tell me, Mitch, throw out the Arizona experience. Don't judge Josh Rosen on the air. He had no coaching. They were switching. He had no chance. He was in an absolutely toxic situation mm-hmm. in Arizona in his first year. So that doesn't count. You throw those 300 pass attempts right out the mm-hmm. window. So I'm willing to do that. Okay. But what I love about it is they gave up a second. The Dolphins did a second round pick, and they've committed $6 bucks over three years to this quarterback. If he happens to be good. To steal. It's well, it's already a steal financially, but right. it's an absolute. So I love the deal. So I'm a, I'm a huge, yeah. huge Josh Rosen. I'm all. I'm getting my Josh Rosen jersey. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> if you were, if you loved the deal so much, you would buy a Josh Rosen jersey. You don't love it that much. L- let's wait. I love the. Jo- I love. You the love deal. the deal. Yes. If you love the deal so much, yeah. I want you to purchase a Josh Rosen jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want you to take a photo, have have somebody in your family <laughs> take a photo, and post it before the season starts if you love the deal that much. You, on episode 36P, made a comment that annoyed at least one, one member of your Twitter family. She was salty. Somebody said, she said that she was thinking about pulling her patron card. Yeah. Because you called her dumb. Yes. She took offense to your comment. So why don't you tell the people that don't have access to 36P, A, what you said. Yes. And B, if you still mean what you said about the Damian Lillard 
37-footer right. to win the first-round playoff series against Oklahoma City. Now, we all, if you're an NBA fan at all, and I know that there's not a lot of people that will claim to be NBA fans these days, yeah. liars. Yeah. Anyway, tie ball game, I think it was 116-116 if, I, if I, memory serves me. Damian Lillard's got the ball in the top of the key in Portland, home court advantage in Portland, clock winding down to have an opportunity to win this game, miss the shot, it goes OT, okay? Dribbles on the right side, one-on-one against Paul George. At this point where he starts, he's 40 feet from the basket, takes a hard dribble in, then a sidestep a la Harden-style double hop step, 37-foot jumper. Drano. Over the corner, outstretched arm of Paul George. Right. Tough, tough. Tough shot. Drano. Game winner. Walk off. Whatever. All right. You asked me, or you said on Twitter, actually, it was it was you who started this whole controversy because you said something to the effect of, if that ball doesn't go in, are we talking about whether or not that was a good shot? And I, something like that. I'm yeah. paraphrasing. Yeah, I said something like, is it wrong for me to bring up right. how bad of a shot I thought that that was, even though he made it? He made it. He's a hero. He won the series. Yeah. The fact that he was just dribbling out the clock and settling for a 37-footer when I sat there and I wondered to myself, what is he doing? Why not at five make a move, set up your teammate, get to the free get throw fouled. line? You need one point to win. One. To, to just say, uh, I'm just going to go. And now everybody's thrown in my face that he was eight out of 12 right. from like 30 35 40, feet. Yeah, 30 to 40 feet. 30 to 40 feet yeah. is eight out of 12. So I just brought that up and you and you backed me up on that. You said, it's a, it's it's terrible. Horrible. It's a terrible shot. And anybody who doesn't think it is a dumb person. Yeah, stupid. <laughs> I said, you are a dumb person. That is stupid. And just because the shot went in doesn't make it a good shot. There's a, a lot of people that have heard that that are either patrons or I've had conversations with that are Blazers fans. Yeah. Said, well, there was nothing to lose. It was a tie ball game. There's nothing. To, what do you mean? What do you mean? You could lose in overtime by taking a horrible shot with the last possession. Right, right. There's a lot to lose. Right. Just because it would go into OT doesn't mean it was a good shot. It was a horrible shot. And so, unfortunately, this this one woman took offense to me saying in the Patreon episode dumb. that, if, that you, yeah. if you think that was a good shot. Now, yeah. I, I didn't call out her or anyone specifically. If you're a person who thought that was a good shot. And I there's, said, a, there's a lot of people out there so who thought dumb. that was a good shot. Ironically, I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah. I'm in a restaurant this weekend <laughs> in Portland. Oh. And we're getting some to-go food, my wife and I. And there's two gentlemen at the bar talking about the shot. And the guy said, that was a horrible shot. It was a horrible <laughs> shot. And I was like, that a kid, that a kid. There's a guy that knows what he's talking about. Blazers fan through and through. Now, I'm planning on being in the Rose Garden. Do they still call it the Rose Moda Garden? Moda Center. In the Moda Center for yeah. game three mm-hmm. of the series between the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers. That'd be great. I plan on being in that arena. Would you like me to go chair after chair after chair and say to every one person, mm-hmm. did you think that that was a good shot? And when they say yes, I'm going to say, you're a dumb person. Yeah. Okay, do you think <laughs> it was a good shot? And when they say yes, you're a dumb person. Yeah. Do you want me to go like 19,000? I don't know, 20,000 people? I'll yeah. go I'll go seat 
after seat after seat. Only, I'll call only every. Two. I'll call every person a dumb person. Only two, two stops I want you to make. Okay, KC and Wheels, and ask them. Yeah. What do, you, it, what do you think they're going to say? Kevin Calabro and Brian Wheeler. What do you think they're going to say? I, I just I'm curious of what they're going to see. Say. What everybody says is, guys, Jason, Mitch, you don't obviously watch the Blazers yeah. enough. If you would watch them more closely, you would know that this is what Damian Lillard does, and it was a much better shot than meets the eye. You're just coming in for the playoffs. You're just you're just tuning in late. You're like a a Johnny come lately. That's why you think it's such a bad shot. You you've read those, right? Yeah. See, we can't we, we can't have a comment an, an educated comment about it because we don't watch the Blazers night after night after night. Mm-hmm. And that's my maybe what Wheels and Kevin Calabro would say. That it was a good shot knowing Damian Lillard. Dame, sorry. I, I've been Dame. corrected. It's Dame, Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard. Um, no. It's a good shot. If Steph Curry did it, if Harden did it, it, pick a player in the league right now. It's not about Damian Lillard. It's about the shot. That shot. You would call it a, a bad shot for Steph anyone, Curry. Anyone. Yes, yes. A 37 step back. Yes, I agree. Jumper. I, totally I don't agree. care who you are. I t- Michael I, Jordan. It's I, a horrible shot. Horrible decision. It's a horrible shot. Okay. All right. Since nobody's watching the NBA playoffs, at least that's what they say. Yeah. You've got Philly and Toronto. The day that we recorded this episode 37, Boston beat Milwaukee Smashed on him. their home floor by 25 points or something. Uh, you've got Golden State and Houston. Golden State's up one on Houston. I'm wondering about Golden State because the Clipsies, I don't know if they were motivated to play the Clips. The Clips beat them twice in Golden State. Mm-hmm. They beat them twice in Golden State during that seven-game series, I guess six-game series. And then you got Denver and Portland. Uh, I'm assuming you're intrigued by at least the Golden State-Houston series. That's caught your eye, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. How about, how about any of the Eastern Conference stuff? Oh no, the the Milwaukee Toronto thing. No, it's Milwaukee I mean, Boston. Milwaukee Boston Philly, thing. Toronto, yeah. The Boston and the Bucks. That series is intriguing to me cuz I want to see what Giannis what Giannis is really about. He's talking about he's the MVP of the league. They're still a young team. Can he can he actually get them past a veteran Boston Celtic team. I, I think that's an interesting series for me personally. I think that's an interesting right, series. Right. I mean, the Houston Golden State thing. We we've seen that movie before. I'm not as interested in that series because we, I know how that's going to go. I think you do. Yeah. And so ultimately, fate a complete. Right. We're still, even though the Clippers beat Golden State twice, we're not. No. We're not backing off the fact that Golden Warriors. State's going to win the yeah. It's win the, the NBA but it's the last yeah. year of it because KD's gone. Yeah. And, yeah. Where's he going? Probably New York. No. We don't want him in New York. L.A. He's going to L.A. So, yes, that's where we want him. We want him. Oh, want him with the Clippers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Kawhi of course and Kevin Durant. Want I want Kevin Durant yeah. and Kawhi with the Clippers. And Lou Williams. Yeah. Patrick Beverly. The, the whole crew. Yeah. The whole crew. Listen, uh, that's it. That's it. You got anything else for me? Episode 37. That was a big draft edition. Ooh, football A draft focus. recap. That was a big NFL draft edition of episode 37. And because of that... Dare I say that episode, Sean Alex? <laughs> I never thought I'd be saying this. I never thought I'd hear myself say this. Uh, I guess I'm doing it. Episode Sean Alexander is in the books. Yeah.